Welcome in to Lindsay Lane. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is so good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles and open them to everywhere as we will be jumping around, and it's good to have you here. Last week, we began a new sermon series called Systems because God himself is a God of order. He has given us institutions. He has given us principles for order, and there are systems according to God, systems that determine success or failure in our personal life and our corporate life. And last week, as we discussed uh, organization for the church, I want to invite you, if you were not able to be present last week and you have some time, please take time to go back and and look at the archives for last week's message uh, as it talked about the local church, specifically it talked about our local church, the Lord, the leaders, and the laymen. And I would just encourage you to go there as it really teaches and tells you how we function together as a local church together for God's glory and the good of man. This week's system... I pray is helpful to you. I pray that it is very helpful to me, for it is God's design for work and for rest. Now, this uh, Sunday, we'll be looking at work the entire time. Next Sunday, we'll be teaching on rest the entire time. And during this week's study, I literally prayed, Lord, lead me to a sermon that will help me and that will help all of us so that we can better serve you. That is really my prayer for this week's message and for us over the next couple of weeks and for the start of the year that God would teach us all together so that we can better serve him with this year that's in front of us. Let me start by saying this and teaching this. People are the priority creation of God. People are the priority creation of God. But because of our sinful and selfish nature, we are separate from a right relationship with the holy God who created us. But by faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. And that undeserved privilege of being right with God through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ positions us together to honor, serve, and obey God with the life that God has given us. The life that God has given to us. Now, to get very practical with how that looks in our life, I'll share with you what I discovered this week. On average... An adult will spend roughly one-third of their life at work. Let me say that again. On average, an adult will spend roughly one-third of their life at work. That is a significant portion of our life. That is a significant portion of us. And especially as we take a look at that fact and figure and then factor in that we have been redeemed by God Almighty to be right with God for a purposed relationship with him and before others, that is a big chunk of our life that we are to be a responsible steward of our faith with. For many, work is something that is taught at a young age. You think about it. What question does every child answer and ask for themselves? What do I want to be when I grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? This is something that every child that's ever been, has answered to someone, maybe even answered for themselves. And the answer is never relative to a spiritual position. It's never relative to a a characteristic or a moral good characteristic. It's always relative to what? To a profession. And so we are teaching children and giving them the responsibility, even at home, of chores to help your family, to pull your weight, to be productive towards a desired result. I can remember the first job that I ever had. Okay, I remember the first time I ever got paid to do something. How about that? 
when I was, when I was a kid, my granddaddy sometimes would just drive up and be like, get in. Okay. You know, like I start looking around for mom and dad. I'm like, well, I guess I got to get in. And there was a time when I was about 10, 11 years old and my granddaddy drove up in the yard and he said, get in. We're going to pick up rocks. Now you can imagine my excitement at this job opportunity. Very lucrative as he has pulled up and said, we're going to pick up rocks. So he, I got in the truck. He drove us to a local hay field where they were cutting hay. And my job, along with, with him, sometimes when he'd stop the truck, would be for me to get out. And when there was a big enough rock that I could handle, I was to pick it up and then put it in the back of his truck so it would not interrupt the hay raking process that was going on. If I remember correctly, he, made me, he paid me $20 at the end of the day. Now, I don't know if $20 means anything to you or not, but at that time in my life, being about 10 or 11 years old, it looked big as a wagon wheel, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And that's the first time that I can remember actually going to work and getting paid for production, and that's when I was a kid. In our culture, work is a big part of who we are and what we do. A lot of the times, the way that we measure success, the way that we see people is even relative to the work that they do and who they are and what their title is, right, wrong, or indifferent. Our lives, as minds and bodies allow, should include productivity. Let's say that one more time for the sake of, sake of taking notes. Our lives, as minds and bodies allow, should include productivity. That is a biblical truth. But as we'll see next week, it's just as biblical as the idea of rest. Work and rest and the way God has organized those together are a biblical idea to glorify God. And when we see work and rest organized from the scripture within the proper order and balance, we'll hopefully be able to serve and obey God within the both of those. The Bible begins with God being productive. In Genesis chapter one and chapter two, what do you have? You have God's work of creation. And productivity and responsibility is something that we see for man before the fall. We often think that work was a result of a consequence of sin. But if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, you'll see that for man before the fall, responsibility and productivity was given unto man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. God gave the responsibility to Adam in the garden that he had perfectly created to tend and to watch over it. Now, make no mistake, Adam was not created to work and he was not created to rest. He was purposed to glorify God with whatever he was doing. That is the purpose of man before God, to know him, to serve him, to glorify him, to obey him, and the course of action that God gave to man to do that by, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, was the responsibility of work, the responsibility of developing the earth. As a created being with inner determination, Adam had the ability to make the choice whether or not to glorify God in this way. But work was one of the original avenues for man to serve God. Now, this connects us to the scripture like Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. If you look at Colossians 3, 23, and it'll be on the screen, the scripture says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. 
Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So what does that mean for us, those of us who have vocations, those of us that clock in, go to work every day, those of you that are retired, your productivity is still accountable to the Lord, those of you that are school age and have not yet gone to work, you going to school and the work that you do is also accountable to the Lord if you are in Christ. All across the board, our accountability, we are to work at whatever we do as though we were working for the Lord rather than for people. Because verse 24 goes on to say, the master you are serving is Christ. Out of this foundation for work implies, listen to this, because many of you are not just working, many of you are managing others who work. You are leading a team of people. You have responsibility over people that work for you. And all of these principles together as leaders, I'd I'd like for you to hear this. If you are in management of people, you must be a good steward of that management. You must be a good steward of that leadership over others as a Christian representative of the God who saved you and and who sustained you. So I'll, I'll ask to follow that. That those that you manage, that they have a culture conducive to their own spiritual growth? Have you set the, the system for those that you lead that you make it so to where they can find God easily within the work that you do, the culture that they are in? Do your employees, do your, do your ball teams, do your team members, do they have the opportunity to worship? For those decision-makers in our community, and those decision makers in our, across our state, some of you that are in here, to the folks that serve under your leadership, do they have the opportunity to get to worship with their family? And you may say, well, they don't go to worship with their family. Well, maybe if they see you going to worship with your family, they may take a note on it. Somebody hear me? So you are responsible for how you lead people and the opportunities that you provide for them to worship together with their family, to grow in the knowledge of God, to serve God. They're going to have to have opportunities to do that. If you have influence over them, guess what? You get to call that shot. Shortly after Genesis, as God was creating a people for himself, and let me go back because I ain't finished with that. That is a matter of trusting God or not. If you think we have got to stay on the grind until this time, and we don't have time for that, because if we do and we don't push it to this limit, we'll get behind. That means you are trusting in yourself for the will of your life, the will that you gave up when you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. All right. Shortly after Genesis, as God, look at Chick-fil-A, I'm not finished yet. Chick-fil-A's off today. Now, we use that example often. Chick-fil-A's going to take the whole day off. They getting behind? Now, y'all going to be there tomorrow. Y'all go there today if you could. All right, I think I'm done. Shortly after Genesis, as God was creating a people for himself, he gave them standards by which to abide by to represent before other nations what it looked like to be the people of God. If you look in Exodus chapter 20, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, this includes the organization of a work week. God says to his people Israel, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. That is said right before he instructs them to take one day of dedicated rest to the Lord. That is what it says in Exodus and Deuteronomy. You got six days to work. You got one day that's set aside for you to honor God and dedicate a day of rest to him. 
The Old Testament law gives insight to the character of God and intention for his people. That said, this specific instruction that's relative to six days of working and one day to rest before God, this specific instruction in Exodus and Deuteronomy is no longer a binding command to us. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that could perfectly fulfill all of those commands. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the requirement of God's holiness for us on our behalf. He, Jesus, not us and our work, is the object of our faith. He accomplished the perfection for which the law of God required, and Jesus was also the sacrifice for us when that law was broken. That's why we follow the lead of our Lord Jesus. Now, all of that to say, you don't just cast out the Old Testament because we know that New Testament truth. That said, while this commandment found in Scripture in Exodus and Deuteronomy is no longer binding, I would instruct us all to receive what God instituted then as a biblical principle of purpose, productivity, and dedicated rest to both acknowledge God, our Savior, and our Master. This was the Lord's order in time. Listen to this. Work diligently and rest deliberately. Work diligently and rest deliberately. Therefore, this was a spiritual and physical expectation of God. The early chapters of the Old Testament show us what? Shows us that God went to work, Adam went to work, and Israel went to work. As we are looking at the system of work and rest, we know that we see that in the Scripture. Early on, as God was creating the world, as God was choosing a people for himself, work turns a profit that meets a need that sustains a life. But the Bible, that is the Word of God, gives a theological framework toward a practical responsibility that raises our attention and the attention of others to our Creator. So whatever the responsibility we have as we move past this hour in the sanctuary, we are responsible of that before other people and unto God for how we use that for God's glory. Personal work, regardless of position, rank, or description, is purpose to glorify God. Therefore, what you do is not as important as why and how you do it. Let me say that one more time. What you do is not as important as how you do it and why you do it. And take this note. The Scripture endorses work. Not overwork and not underwork, but Work. Now, let's talk about those two for just a minute. Let's talk about overwork. According to one source, Americans work more, take less vacation, and retire later than more people than any other industrialized country. The stat goes on to say that the majority of men and women work more than 40 hours per week. And when we hear those and hear those kinds of stats, sometimes we hear that out loud and we've got a sense of pride like, you dadgum right. That's the way America does it. You know what I mean? Like we, we hear that and we're like, that's exactly right. And that's exactly why we are the way we are and exactly the reason we're here and all of those things. But listen to the wisdom of scripture and the balance that God provides. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse four, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. That is what the Bible says. Proverbs 23, four, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. That word rich means to accumulate. 
you are wearing yourself out, you are working for more, for more what? For more resources, for more wealth, for more opportunities, for more respect, for more wins, for more income, for more uh, growth. We, we are dedicating ourselves with the intention of becoming rich, with the intention of accumulating more. And it's difficult when you are growing up with the work ethic taught to you where that is how you should get after it. It's difficult sometimes to put that aside to hear the other truth of rest and contentment. But the scripture says that you'll wear yourself out trying to accumulate more and more. You've got to know when to quit. You've got to know when to rest. Paul said in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, he said, and I'm trying to give you an Old Testament, a New Testament, look at all of it. Paul said in Philippians 4, 19, this same God, man, this is good, who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. God will supply, just like he supplied for the needs of Paul, will supply for the needs of all who are in Christ from his accumulation, not yours from his riches, not ours, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God, all the provision of God that is found in Jesus. So there are times when overwork is a matter of faith, a matter of putting more trust in the Lord to meet needs than in yourself to accumulate abundance. I'll tell you the truth. I sit right here on the front row as we are getting towards the message, as we are getting into worship, as we given an, an opportunity for us to give, have we just come off an opportunity to study in groups? And I'm thinking to myself a lot, and I have to keep myself in check. Have we done enough this week to where this is going to be effective today? That is a human, man, full-blooded, flesh response of have I done enough for this to be effective? Have I done enough? This ain't my church. This church, like any other local church, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I definitely believe that our productivity is accountable unto God, but God works in your hearts. I do not. I simply get up here and tell you what he said. The Spirit of God works in us, and we can always count on the riches of the Spirit of God, the riches of the Son of God and Father God to work together for his glory and our good to produce all that we need. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 12, as we are staying on the same thought, Ecclesiastes 5 12 says, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Hear the wisdom again of the scripture, because you would think, well, people who work hard are the people that are rich, not necessarily. And people who are rich are the people that work hard, not necessarily. Do you see the balance in the scripture? Those that give themselves to dedicated work are going to have a good night's sleep because they look back and they use their day for the glory of God and the good of man. But those who are after an abundance, an accumulation, that is something that they cannot control, they never get a good night's rest. Why? Because it's on them. The productivity is on them. I've never done enough instead of resting in the Lord's provision and promises. Let's be honest, though. If Americans work more and they take vacation less, then Christians in America are likely gathering to worship God, growing to continue their growth in God, and moving to serve God less. I'm going to just be honest with you. 
the trend in church attendance is not that the people that go to church are not attending church. The trend is, is that people that go to church are attending church less. That really is the truth. You can look at all the stats and all the things that's put out there in the publications. It's not that those believers are not attending and not a part of a local church. It's that they are not attending a local church as much as they used to. What is that relative to? It's quite possible that that's relative to the work that we put in Monday through Saturday has wore us out. And now we're going to take dedicated rest, but not deliberately towards the Lord. We're going to take it for ourselves because we are so tired. We can't even sit in the sanctuary on Sunday. Are we preaching now? Amen. Ceaseless work is not God's idea. Let me say that one more time. Ceaseless work is not, not God's idea. For those of you that are desiring deliberate rest, for those of you that are desiring to have that time in your life where you breathe, you've got to know it's okay because God's idea is for you to have a break deliberately towards him. And we'll talk more about that next week. It's not a far-fetched idea, even as we sit here today. It's really not. I'm not gonna ask you to raise up your hand, but it's not a far-fetched idea that some of you have sent a work-related email while I'm talking. It's not a far-fetched idea that some of you have sent a text message relative to the responsibilities you have to cover while we were singing. Anything, now this is where it gets dicey. Anything that takes the place of God is a what? It's an idol. Anything that takes the place of God, whether it be a career or whatever it is, a game, a, a, a relationship, Whatever it is, anything that takes the place of God is an idol. And the vocation we are dedicated to, if we are not careful, can look like an object of our identity. This is who we are and what we're known for, rather than being known for who we are in Christ and who God has created to be redeemed and right with him. If we're not careful, our vocation, our relationships, the things that we do, the things that we are involved in, it can look like our worship. How can it look like our worship? Because that's where our time and our talent and our treasure go. Work is biblical. Overwork is not. Overwork can be threatening to the structured balance that God has created us to operate within. I told someone this last week, and I've heard other people say this, pastors get to preach their passions and their prisons. Meaning they get to preach the things that they are fired up and they've got, you know, they got it in right order in their life. But they also have to preach those things that they struggle with. And I'll be the first to admit, I struggle with keeping work in its rightful place. That it disturbs me sometimes of actually worshiping God because I'm still thinking about all the things we've got to get done either today or the next week. And if we keep this in proper balance, we will find ourselves being more obedient and opened up to serve God with the right motives of our heart. When it comes to overwork, I think we look no further than Martha in the New Testament. If you look at Martha in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10, Martha was lovingly chided by the Lord for staying busy while Jesus was right there to teach her. And if we are too obedient or if we are too busy to be obedient and rest, if we are too busy to stop ourselves and hear from the Lord, to worship the Lord, y'all, if we're too busy to serve the Lord, then we're too busy, period. Now let's talk about underwork. As we talked about overwork, let's talk about underwork. Recently, Brittany, Brittany and I were unloading the dishwasher. All right, mostly Brittany. But I was assisting the unloading of the dishes. It was at the end of a long day, 
And I grabbed out of the dishwasher, I, I grabbed a bottom part of a Tupperware bowl. And then I opened the cabinet and I kind of just tossed it in the corner of the cabinet. And then I grabbed what I thought was, and it was, was the lid of that Tupperware bowl. And then I put it on the next shelf, just somewhere up there in the corner and closed the door. And I turn and Brittany's looking at me. She just looks at me like, are you serious, dude? Like, really? She was like, are you serious? Like, that goes there. And if you move that for two seconds and just place that inside of it, and then the lid goes there, we've got it all in order. She was basically lovingly calling out my laziness. I did not want to do that. I wanted to go sit back down. I didn't care where those Tupperware lids and bowls go. Just throw them in there and close the door. And we got it done. And seriously, it's good to have that helpmate because we're not independent of one another. Because here's the thing. As I'm preparing the message this week, I had two very good examples of laziness that I have witnessed by others in recent months. Two very good ones that would call us all out and convict us to the core. But the reason I share with you my own is because we can all get there. We can all get there. We can all get towards a place where we check out and we are not responsible with our time as we have gone from resting to becoming absolutely lazy and now we can't unload the dishwasher correctly. But this is, this is where we are. This is who we are. We are prone to give in to ourselves. And the Bible says this. Did you know that the wisdom scripture of uh, the wisdom literature of the Bible has a lot to say about laziness? Have you read it? If you read throughout Proverbs, young folks in here, if you are a teenager, if you're a college kid, if you are a, a child, everywhere in between, read the Proverbs as they are written to young people. And one thing that God's scripture will warn you of in the wisdom literature of scripture is becoming lazy. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 33 and 34 says, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. The more time you take off, the more time you sleep in, the more time that you sit back, the more time that you seek entertainment and avoid a responsibility, scarcity will attack you like an armed robber, is what the Bible says. Listen, I, I'm gonna keep going because there's a lot in here. Proverbs 21.5, hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 12.11, those who chase fantasies have no sense, that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 13, 4, lazy people, they want a lot, but they get little. Proverbs 14, 23, work brings profit, but mere talking about it leads to poverty. You've got to hear God's word on productivity. You are to keep it in balance because work is not the only part of our life. But laying around ain't either. As God has showed us here in the scripture, we are meant to be productive, to work definitively, decisively, for, for the purpose of our development and for the glory of God, and then to deliberately rest. That's Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul spoke quite a bit on this subject, too. He taught that living quietly and working actively as a way to garner respect from others is a God idea. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul taught that working was a way to give generously. That if you are not laying around, but you are working, and that working leads to an income that God then holds you responsible for how you are generous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul taught about working for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus. And then he warns specifically in 2 Thessalonians about a, a, an idle lifestyle. 
You know, one of the reasons we are so captured by the political atmosphere of our country and one of the reasons that we are up to speed on everybody's gossip, that we know everything about our neighbor to our Facebook followers to the Kardashians, and there's even a show about that, is because we don't have enough to do. We're going to sit there and follow what everybody does and watch the world work instead of working ourselves. We're going to see what everybody does and talk about what everybody does, and we're going to talk about all the things that need to be done. Instead of loving our neighbor, we're going to talk about our neighbor. Now, you tell me how that's biblical. Instead of reaching those people that are our Facebook followers, our Facebook friends, and all of these things, instead of praying for them, instead of reaching out to them and taking them to lunch, we're going to take them to the cleaners as we talk about them around everybody else. We're wasting time with those things is what I'm trying to tell you and make it plain today. Wasting time. As the world is in all of this activity, we are laying around watching them. Many times we, students, please hear this because I'm still in student ministry as I'm a leader of a church. Many times we are watching people instead of living our own lives. Y'all hear that? We are watching people live, making their own videos. We're watching people live, living out their own purpose instead of actually taking the responsibility to fulfill the God-given purpose he's given to us. We don't have to put everything on videos. Just serve the Lord. That wasn't even in my notes. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 11. Second Thessalonians, man, Paul says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives. You are refusing to work. Now hear this under the word of God. If you have the mind to work and are able to work, you've got to go to work. That's it. If you have the mind and you have the ability, you've got to work, go to work. Because Paul says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Do you see the connection between laying around and gossiping around? The connection between not doing anything and being involved in everybody's everything? There's a connection there between living idly and refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We are commanded, the Bible says, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to learn their own living. Y'all, I'm convinced that there's a lot of drama in personal lives out there because they don't have enough to do. You need, if this is you, and don't take it personal unless it's personal, if you find yourself in more drama that you can deal with, get yourself a job from nine to five, go home, watch a TV show and eat dinner, and then get real tired and go to bed. In other words, under the authority of Christ, be concerned, listen to this, be concerned with your own productivity, not the activity of others. Be concerned with your own productivity, not the activity of others. Overwork undervalues the body. Underwork overtaxes the body. But working well in both quantity and quality glorifies God and serves others. And so we pray for the balance of that in our life. Now, as we move toward the last part of this message, and that don't mean I'm done, I'm just saying we're moving towards there. As we move towards the last part of the message, you cannot overlook the reason why 
Work carries this negative attachment. For some of you that are here today, you cannot stand the job that you are in. Some of you, you love it and you've gotten to a place where you're passionate about it, but there are many that absolutely do, are not fulfilled by the job that they do. And as we move towards the end, responsibility and productivity existed before the fall, but work only became a struggle as a result of sin. Sin is what makes work a burden that you don't want to carry. Sin is what affects the people around that you may complain about from time to time. Genesis chapter three, verse 17, it says, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you and all your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. When sin entered the world, thorns and thistles entered the activity of work. Now, if you farm, thorns and thistles are literal. If you don't, the thorns and thistles can be other things. As I was taking our Christmas lights off the house this year, I tried to be real ambitious and put Christmas lights on the top of our house. Not run them across the top, but on the corners, right? And, and on the outlying parts of our house. The parts that were clipped to the shingles was like working before the fall of man. It was like working where no sin was present. Man, I grabbed a hold of those lights and was just whistling Dixie, just doing like this. And it's da, 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 right there and down in the yard. Those gutters, though, were sinful. <laughs> those gutters, taking those hooks and clips all the way down on those gutters, it will give you pain in your life. It's a burden that I did not want to carry. In fact, you go back into the house and I look at Brittany, I'm like, we're not doing that again. You know, like we're going we're gonna to put them right here in the middle and I'm going to flip a light and something's going to shine and that's going to be it. I'm not going to do that ever again. Like it becomes something in your life that you regret or you don't look forward to again. It's a thorn and a thistle and all of those things are there because sin has that much impact on humanity. It has that much impact. The, the scripture says that creation is cursed. Christmas lights on your house are cursed. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but it has that much impact on humanity. If you farm, again, if you're a farmer, you know thorns and thistles as you are trying to produce a crop, the fall of man is literally right there before you as weeds are taking up what God meant for the growth of the plant. If you're not a farmer, the thorns and thistles look different. The effects of sin could be the people that you work for. The effects of sin could be the people that you work with the hours that you work, the culture that you work within, the, the physical task of your work, the mental stress of your work, the, the battle within your own inabilities, the battle within yourself towards laziness. Those things affect work because sin affects the world. Listen to me, everything is a spiritual issue. Everything is a spiritual issue, even your job. And the curse of sin makes purpose difficult. Just because sin impacts the culture of work, now listen, it doesn't mean that you should just endure every terrible job that you've had. Just because you know God is with you and you know that there's purpose wherever you are, just because you know exactly why people are the way that they are and things are not as good as you want them to be, it doesn't mean that you have to just stay in that. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 19, the latter half of that verse says, 
to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. So what you, what you do for a living as your career, it should bring a level of enjoyment to your life, as it says in the scripture. To enjoy what you do, to accept where you are, is a gift from God, the Bible says. I'd say this to you today. If you are one that says, I don't enjoy my work at all, and you need to talk about these things in church, because if you are unhappy at your job, one third of your life is in question as to whether or not you are glorifying God and helping people. And so if you would say to yourself, I do not like where I work, I can't stand it, I'm not being fulfilled, I really struggle with that, quite possibly the best piece of advice that I've ever been given, the best piece that I've ever read on this is you got to do one or two things. You got to change your attitude or you got to change your job. That's it. Change your attitude or change your job. Change your attitude means that you are concluding on contentment that it's not about the culture of your work, it's not about the people of your work, it's about you want more than what you've got and that's the desire of your heart and you've concluded that you need contentment in your life more than accumulation. Changing your attitude means showing up on purpose. You're not just clocking in, you're clocking in with a purpose. You're part of the company, you're part of the organization's mission statement. You are contributing to where they want to go. Changing your attitude means that you are contributing to the culture and to the mission like we talked about. Changing your attitude means that you are ministering to the people you work with. You are ministering to the people you work with. This is not my notes. I'm not even asking if I could share this, but I remember Greg telling me before he went into ministry full time, Greg Wise, our connections pastor here, God let him off of where he was to go into full-time ministry. Greg, according to Greg, he would say this, because I already witnessed about all the folks I could at the place that I was already working at. See, are you looking at the place that you work as a mission field that God has given you as an opportunity to minister to people, to meet their needs, to be bold enough to tell them about the Lord Jesus and to represent that daily where you are? Change your attitude or change your job. If you need to change your job, how do you do that? Well, it's exactly that. You are prayerfully making a change as you consider the things that matter. This is not recklessly leaving, but you're prayerfully considering a change and changing. If you are considering a change, consider these things. Is the culture where you are toxic? Is it, is it taking the life out of, of you? Is the job that where you are, is it far from your passions? You're making a good bit of money, but you don't care about what you're doing. Are you under challenged? Does the compensation meet your need? Does your job allow you to be part of the local church? Are you thinking about that? I remember when I was, when I was in college, I worked at uh, Hibbit Sports. I was a terrible salesman, terrible. Because like, this is literal truth. I think I've told this before. People would come in, they would come in and be like, hey, we're looking for these socks. They're supposed to do this for your feet when you're playing ball and these things like that. And I literally would look at them. I'd be like, I wouldn't buy them socks. I'd get those from Walmart. <laughs> I mean, I should have been fired looking back at it because I was awful. Like, that was just terrible. I can't remember why I told you that. <laughs> but, but, oh, I know why I told you that. The first day that I went in, and I apologize to anybody that's part of the Hibbs organization. But the first day that I went in, I remember this. She asked me about my work schedule. I said, what days, what days is good for you to work? Can you work all the time? And I, I was dumb enough to tell her this. No, ma'am, I don't work on Sundays. And she said, you don't? I said, no, ma'am, we go to worship on Sundays. We can't work on Sundays. Because I'm thinking to myself, if y'all don't hire me, I'll just go right over here to Dollar General or something, see if they will. Would we be bold enough? 
when we are looking for a job. And again, I know there's specific situations that I'm not touching, but sometimes the people of God need to let others know what we stand for. At least ask for it. What can they do? Tell you no, probably. But they just tell you no. You might as well at least let them know because maybe if they make you work on Sunday, if they know right now that you don't want to, after you've worked well for them for six months, maybe on that seventh month, they'll give you that day. You gotta let them know. You, you gotta tell them this is not, if it's not fulfilling for you in your life because it does not allow you to worship and rest. It does not allow you. Israel, we'll talk about this next week. Israel was different from every other culture around them. Every other culture around them was burning at both ends every single second. Israel took a day off. And they did so, and God blessed that, and then they came back, and it was better for them because they had taken that time to rest dedicated to God. So when you're changing your God, changing your job, you do need to think about, does your job allow you to be part of the local church? Does your job allow you to serve his people? Again, you may think that's very preachy, and I'm not talking to every single situation because I don't know every single situation. I just do think that we need to be mindful of these as we are Christians first, not employees. None of us, as we close, none of us should have a stress-free perfection from any job because sin affects every part of our world, including work. If you are a teenager that's just beginning to work, if you're a young adult that's just beginning to work and you're thinking your job is so terrible, one thing I would advise you to know is that everywhere that you work is going to be tough in one way or another. It's going to be a difficult part of life, whether it's because of sacrifice or culture or whatever. And so you trust the Lord and you change your attitude or you change your job. Finally, keep work in perspective. Take this final note. Keep work in perspective. Our title, our position, our labor, our income, that was never meant to define your worth, ever. Some of you may think all I do is this. Well, all that you do is this. Maybe what you do is you absolutely glorify God and serve him because of what you do. Don't attach your worth to what you do and what your position is and what rank on the ladder that you've climbed. What you do is not who you are. Who you are is who he says you are. That is the truth. You are valued by God regardless of your resume. You are valued by God regardless of your work history, your position, your rank. You are valued by God regardless of your work ethic. And that's the danger of a work culture as we lead to the end. The danger of a work culture can lead you to even believe that the work that you do morally will be right upside God's holiness. And that's not right. A work culture like we have in our country can lead us to believe that what we do or what we don't do will give us right standing with God or not. It will qualify us before God or not. And so I'm going to let the word of God have the final word for today. Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. If you need to be saved today, if you want to be right with God and you want to know if you are Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, and nine, God saved you by his grace. When you believed, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The good works begin when you receive the good work that Jesus has done. He has accomplished 
the fulfillment perfection of the law. He has been the sacrifice once and for all time for when we do not measure up. He is the one who gives us the spirit inside of us to do good works that matter with our life, not unto salvation, but unto obedience because he is our Lord, our King, and our Master. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.